Hello, church. This is the last sermon in our Love Works series. All throughout this series, we've been saying that love is not sentimentality. Love takes work. Love takes hard work. But when you put in the work, love actually works. Throughout this series, we've been talking about all sorts of, of loves. We've been talking about loving many things and loving in many ways. And today, we're going to talk about love of creation. That's right, love of creation. I have been a pastor for many years, and I don't think I've ever sat through a sermon that has ever talked about the love of creation. I don't even think I've preached a sermon on uh, the love of creation. I've talked about that in other sermons as subpoints and sermons, but not a whole sermon dedicated to it. Now, even though this uh, topic is quite rare within church context, it's extremely necessary, especially in the days that we're living in today, that we talk about the stewardship of the earth. The passage that we have in front of us today to instruct us, to inform us, is found in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 23. Would you read it with me? It's what the Word of God says. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of of our bodies. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, this text helps us to understand two things. Number one, why we as Christians, when we think about the stewardship of the earth, why does that matter to us? Why should it matter? Why should it be important to us? That's the first thing. But then secondly, it teaches what our posture should be in light of its importance. So first, why does it matter? Three reasons. Uh, number one, because of love. The very famous verse in the Bible found in John 3.16 starts off by saying, because God so loved the world. God does not hate the world. And the world that John speaks of is not just the world of people. It's not just about humanity. It's all of God's creation. God loves the world. And the reason why God loves the world is because God has created the world. In the very first book of the Bible, we have the creation account, the book of Genesis. When God creates everything that exists, he looks at his creation and he says, it is good. Now, there's a lot of talk nowadays about preserving the earth and living lives that are ecologically friendly. But the reason why most people think that we ought to steward well the resources that we have is because of a pragmatic reason. Uh, would they say, hey, listen, if we don't care for this earth, if we don't care for the creation, uh, one day we may not have it we will end up wasting it and we're not gonna have a planet for our children and our children's children. Yes, that is a very good reason. We should think about the future. We should think about the future generations that are gonna come after us and that we ought to do the best that we can right now, take care so that they will have 
a healthy earth to live in. However, our main reason is not because of that. Our main reason is because of God, because God loves creation. And if we say that we love God, we should also care for the things that he loves. You can't say you love me unless you care about the things that I love as well. You can't love me and not love my wife and not love my children and not love my church. If you hate my wife, if you hate my church and you say you love me, I'm gonna question whether you love me or not. So if we say that we love God, we should care about that which God loves, which is his creation, which he thinks is very good. That is his opinion of it. The second reason uh, why it matters is because of obedience. After God has created uh, the universe, he had placed Adam and Eve in the middle of that garden. Adam and Eve, as our forefathers, received from God what we call the cultural mandate. God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and exercise dominion over all of creation. God did not mean that Adam and Eve and humans that would come after Adam and Eve would exercise tyranny over creation that they would exercise some sort of dictatorship, leadership over creation. That's not what he means when he says, I want you to exercise dominion over all of creation. What God was asking Adam and Eve was that they would be faithful stewards of the earth that God had giving them to inhabit. See, the earth is not ours for us to do whatever we want to do with it. The earth is the Lord's. In Psalm 24, we read, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, God has entrusted us the stewardship of his creation. Why? Because we were created in the image of God. The animals were not created in the image of God. The other animal species, plants were not created in the image of God. We were created in the image of God. And as God is king, as God exercises rule over the universe, he gave us that characteristic. He put in us. This is what we call the, uh, the visible, the transferable attributes of God in us. He gave us the responsibility to rule and to exercise stewardship because we were created in his image. We have that responsibility because we are earth as well. There's a Brazilian theologian by the name of Leo Boff. He wrote this very beautiful quote. He says, men and women are earth that thinks, hopes, and love. Remember the creation account? Adam was made out of dirt. See, the same substances, the same chemicals in our bodies are the same chemicals that exist in the earth. We were made out of dust. But we are earth that thinks. We are earth that hopes. We are earth that loves because we were created in the image of God. It is our responsibility to exercise stewardship over God's creation. And you know what the Bible says as well? That one day God is going to ask us how we have done that job. We are going to stand before God and we're going to have to give an account of how we stewarded all of the resources that he put in our hands, including the earth. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 18, which is the last book of the Bible, which talks about Jesus' second coming. Upon Jesus' second coming, 
He will establish his throne on earth. And on that day, the scripture says, as he's going to bring everything into account. This is what we read in the word of God. Pay attention to these, to these verses here. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great. And listen, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth people that exploit the earth, people who are bad stewards of the earth, one day we'll have to give an account to God. He will ask us, how have you cared for the creation that I have entrusted you with? But then thirdly, here's a third reason. Not only out of love, not only out of obedience because of this responsibility that's been given to us, but also out of hope, out of hope. The world is, the earth is fallen. Creation is fallen. We read in this passage here in verse 20. Look, go back to verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. We live in a broken and in a fallen world. The world reflects, obviously, the beauty of the creator, but it is imperfect. It's reflected in a distorted way. Why? Because of sin. Adam and Eve, because they sinned, their sin not only had consequences for themselves, but it had consequences for all of creation that was underneath them, that was underneath their rule. And so the reason why, for instance, we have natural disasters and sometimes thousands of people die in natural disasters like earthquakes or tsunamis, is not because God is evil. It's because of sin. See, if sin had not entered the world, death would have not entered the world. That's what Paul says in another passage of Scripture. But because they have sin, death has entered the world. And that's why we have what we have in natural disasters. It is because creation is fallen. Things have been spinning out of order. Now, God is still in control and God still controls everything perfectly, but it's not exactly the way in which he has purposed and created. We live in a broken and a fallen world. Now, the promise of Scripture that we read here in this passage is that Jesus has come to restore, to redeem broken creation, to redeem fallen creation. He has come into the world to redeem fallen creation. And the way in which he has been doing this is in, is in two ways. Number one, by incarnating through the miracle of the incarnation. Think about that. The incarnation is something that is mind-blowing if you think about it. The creator God, the God who created everything, everything was created through him. Jesus is the word of God. He is the agent of creation. He himself at one point in time in history took upon himself created nature. Wow. Why did the creator take upon himself created nature to redeem created nature. He, he is redeeming creation not only through the miracle of the incarnation, but also through substitution. See, on the cross, Jesus takes the full weight of the curse of sin, which is death. See, when sin entered the world, death also entered the world, and because of that, everything is dying. Stars die, plants die, animals die, Humans die. Everything is subject to the second law of thermodynamics. And on the cross, Jesus is completely disintegrating. 
He is disintegrating spiritually as he calls out, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? He is disintegrating physically as well. His body is literally falling apart. And on the cross, Jesus dies so that he can raise all of fallen creation back to its original form, to its incorruptible form. There's a very powerful verse in the scriptures out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, where the apostle Paul says, for in him, listen to this, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, on the cross, Jesus was not just reconciling humans. Most of us think that the reason why Jesus went to the cross was just to reconcile humanity back to God. Yes, he went to the cross to do that, but he went to the cross to reconcile all of broken creation. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. Jesus is the second Adam that has come into the world to reverse the effects of the curse. And therefore, you cannot fully understand creation and the importance of our stewardship unless you truly understand the incarnate Christ and his work on the cross. One of my favorite theologians was um, Scottish theologian T.F. Torrance that taught in the University of Edinburgh for many years. And T.F. Torrance uh, wrote this. He said, Christ is the ground and grammar of the shared intelligibility of the theology and science. <laughs> oh, you're asking yourself, what, what does he mean by that? Let me interpret Torrance to you. What Torrance is saying is, when you truly understand the incarnated Christ, the creator God who has taken upon himself created nature, and you understand what he has truly done on the cross, he is the link between the divine and nature and creation. To this day, Jesus has two natures. He has his divine nature, and he has also a created nature. Jesus is 100% God and 100% human. Jesus incarnated, and to this day, he is the incarnate Christ. Jesus never de-incarnated. He never threw away his human nature when he ascended into heaven. To this day, we have a Savior who still in his body wears the scars of broken creation in a redeemed and glorified body to give us the hope that that's what he's doing to everything. That's what he is doing to us. One day we will have our bodies also glorified in the resurrection of the dead. Jesus one day will redeem everything that's broken and fallen in creation. He is doing that, and therefore, we can stand on this hope today. See, Christianity is a faith that's based off of hope. Look, our stewardship, the idea of stewardship of the earth, is, is, is not like the idea of stewardship of the earth that comes from science and academia nowadays, right? The reason why humans now have begun exploring other planets, like Elon Musk, for instance, his reason for going to Mars and investing a lot of time and trying to figure out ways of going to Mars. He says, one day this thing's going to blow up and we better have a new place to go to. We better explore, start exploring other planets. Otherwise, there's no hope for us. 
Now, Christianity does not have that hold that pessimistic view of creation, that the world's going to be destroyed, even though a lot of Christians hold on to that view, right, that we're going to uh, die and God is going to take us to heaven. Uh, it's another place. The earth is going to be destroyed. So who cares if the earth is going to be destroyed because we're going to be in heaven anyways. No, 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 no. The doctrine of the resurrection tells us that in the future, heaven will inhabit earth. We're not going to leave earth and go to heaven, but heaven will come down to earth. This is a beautiful world. Do you think that God just one day is just going to throw everything away? No, no, no. He's redeeming it because, again, he loves it. There's value. And our view is, a, is an optimistic view of the future. Jesus one day will accomplish his work. In Revelations 21, verse 5, it says that Jesus one day will look at redeemed creation, and he's going to say, oh, man, I have made all things new. He doesn't, he's not going to say, oh, man, that's not in the Bible, right? That's me. But he's going to say, hey, I have made all things new, as if he is proud of his work of full restoration. And when that day comes, it's going to be glorious. The Bible says that even the trees will sing for joy. In Psalm 96, verses 12 and 13, we read, Let the field exult and everything in it. Then, meaning on that day, when Jesus Christ finishes the work of restoration, when he consummates the work of redemption, on that day shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. Isn't that beautiful? What a positive view. What a view that offers us hope and purpose as we steward the earth in the present. It leads to the posture that we are called to have in light of this truth. That it matters because of love. That it matters because of obedience. That it matters because of our hope. It affects the way in which we ought to live our lives now and how we ought to relate to the created order. How? Number one, we should have a posture of thoughtfulness. In verse 21, here again, the reminder that creation is awaiting for that redemption day, right? That it's longing to be set free because it's now found in a state of oppression. Creation is being oppressed it's longing to be set free. And so the question is for us is how can we join Jesus in that which he is doing in order to liberate creation, in order to lift the burden of oppression that creation currently experiences? How can we join Jesus in his mission? We ought to do that, number one, with intentionality. We have to be asking questions about everything we do and how our choices affect creation. You should be asking questions such as, should I be giving my money to that business that is making a profit out of the exploitation of creation? We as Americans need to be asking the question, what about our wastefulness? We are very wasteful. I was just thinking about that the other day. Think about all the toys that my kids have, like crates and crates filled up with little plastic toys. Some of them they've only played with a few times. And we accumulate so much waste at the expense of creation. 
stuff that goes back and affects, you know, uh, the, 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 the ecosystem in a negative way. We should be asking this question as Americans, our wastefulness of, of resources, is that how God has called us to live? Is that how God has called us to steward creation and the earth? We should be asking questions and we should have a posture of cultivation. You know, obviously creation was given to us as a gift for our sustainability. He told Adam and Eve, you can eat of every tree and fruit that exists here in the garden. It's there to serve us, but we must not just extract and take. We should put back. We should cultivate. God did not create us to be park rangers. He created us to be gardeners, to be cultivators. Once they asked Martin Luther, the German reformer, if the earth was ending tomorrow, if the world was ending tomorrow, what would you do? And you know what was his answer? He said, if I knew that the world was ending tomorrow, today I would plant a tree. That's what it means to join Jesus in his mission of redemption of creation. So let's be very thoughtful. Let's think about uh, all the implications of all the choices that we make and how it affects God's beautiful creation. But then secondly, let's have a posture not only of thoughtfulness, but let's have a posture of humility. I, I believe that one of the main purposes by which God has created the earth, the cosmos, is to teach us about himself, is to reveal to us characteristics about him. And it does. When you look at creation, you see the order in things, the rhythms in things. Day always follows night, right? Out of death always comes life. Those are, those are things that reveal to us the God that we have, the freedom and creation that we see. You know, when an eagle is flying up high into the sky or when a cheetah is running, you know, fast through an African field, you sense that freedom. In fact, many of us have posters of those animals and those environments in our offices and in our homes because it's inspirational. And it teaches us about our God, the nature of our God, the free nature of our God, and, and, and uh, how he has created us to be and to exist. See, in Psalm 19.1, which is one of the most famous psalms in the Bible that talks about creation, it says this, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Theologians call this general revelation. It reveals to us God. In fact, in Romans 1, the apostle Paul says that humans are inexcusable when they're, when they're living their lives without God being their main purpose. Because how can they deny a God? How can they deny the existence of a God when every morning there's a beautiful sunrise, when every night there's a moon in the sky and stars way up above? See, nature teaches us about the being of God. You know, I was thinking about this the other day because now... Uh, you know, humans have sent crafts to Mars, right? Uh, we've seen the image of the rovers and Mars and the pictures of Mars. 
And, oh, wow, we, we just made it to another planet. It's the first time that humanity has ever landed anything on another planet. And, uh, you know, but I'm looking at those images, and all we see, think about that, is rocks and dirt. That's it. No plants, no animals, no nothing. All we see is rock and dust. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what this is teaching me? when I ponder and think about it, that we are loved. Think about the earth that we inhabit and all the beauty and the resources that we have here. We have way more than rocks and dust. We have a very diverse ecosystem. We have many colors all around us. Man, we live in a city that's beautiful. Come on now. Somebody give amen. We live in a beautiful city. People are moving here in droves because of the beauty of this place. And this communicates to us what? When we see nature and creation all around us in comparison to what's out there, that we are loved, that we are loved by God. In fact, I think that every scientific discovery that we have access to just confirms the fact that we are loved and that we have a great God. Think about that. Do you know, did you know that there are two trillion galaxies? We inhabit a corner, a little cul-de-sac of the universe. There are two trillion galaxies. And the Bible says that our God has created all of that. When I think about the vastness of the universe, I feel so small. But at the same time, I, I sense, you know, how good and how big our God is as well. See, what sin does to us, sin has this power of diminishing our view of God. But when we look at creation, it augments our view of our creator God. Nature is here to teach us about the being of God. You know, you read the Bible and Solomon is saying, hey, in Proverbs 6, 6, 6 and 11, right? He says, you want to learn about the right culture of work, good work ethics? Just look at the ants. Look how they work. Look how they toil. Look how organized they are. Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount, he is teaching us about the kingdom of God and he's using examples of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field to illustrate deep truths because nature is there to teach us about God. And so what's the practical application here? Go outside. <laughs> Don't be content and locked in in a suburban atmosphere the whole time or an urban atmosphere. You need to be out there with nature. Okay, if you live here in Miami, you have plenty of opportunities to do that. You can go to the Everglades, go to the beach, go be outside, be outside. Take trips and go see the mountains. Go see snow. During the winter, we took our kids to see snow. They saw it for the very first time, the little ones up in New Hampshire. They were like, oh my gosh, what is this? Santa lives around here. He must, right? Go out there. You know, be out more. Incorporate nature. Contact with nature into your Sabbath rhythms. I love that when God finished his work of creation, he rested. But he rested. God rested observing creation. Because on the seventh day, God said, it is very 
good. I think that what God was doing on the seventh day, he was just soaking in the beauty of the works of his hands. And that's what we must do as well. It will replenish you. So be out. Be more in contact with creation. Get out of that desk. Get out of that couch. Maybe today after online church, you can go outside, go do something. Incorporate that into your life's rhythms. It will teach you about God. But then lastly, worship. Worship. You know, one of the things that the Bible is very clear is to say that all of creation is glorifying and worshiping its creator. And our call is to step in and join creation in the worship of God. Only when we step into that space and join creation in the worship of its creator will we truly find our purpose. The first question of the shorter catechism is, what is the chief end of men? Why were we created? Why were humans created? And it, you know what the answer is? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You cannot find what your true purpose is unless you find it in the context of the worship of your creation, creator. So I'm going to invite you now to stand. We're going to worship God, and we're going to step into that space and join creation in his worship. And the more we worship God, the closer our hearts become to the heart of God, the better stewards we will be of his creation of this earth. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are grateful for your work of creation. All the beauty and the minutia and the details that exist in your creation reveal so much about you. But Father, we are grateful also for the work of redemption, that you are redeeming broken creation. You are redeeming our lives as well, as the Apostle Paul talks about here. Father, as we step into this calling by faith, and we begin to experience the power of your spirit in our lives, redeeming us from the inside out. Father, may we learn to love you more. May we open ourselves up to your worship. And may we become better stewards of your creation. One day we will all have to give an account for that. And I pray, Father, that we would be deemed as faithful servants. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you.